Welcome, friends. Welcome back to The Corbett Report. I am James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. You're tuned into Propaganda Watch. And this week, we're going to be turning to Twitter for an interesting tweet exchange that I think highlights an interesting phenomenon that is exploited by propagandists for their own purposes. So let's go to the Twitter feed of Simon Dolan, who, as his Twitter bio helpfully uh, points out, he has taken the UK government to court to end the illegal lockdown and bring those responsible to accounts. So for those of my viewers or listeners in the UK, or people generally interested in that, I will provide a link to the page, his website, which has more information about his ongoing legal case and where it stands right now. But here recently, he tweeted out this, he retweeted a Sunday Times tweet, which As you can see, at least in this preview of the tweet, it says a Sunday Times Insight investigation can today reveal that thousands of elderly people were denied potentially life-saving treatment to stop the health service being overrun, contrary to the claims of ministers and NHS executives. So, as you can tell from the the sense that we get from that tweet, and that clearly I think Simon Dolan is underlying here with his comment, we've all known this for months, now conclusive proof, is that this is indeed conclusive proof that the lockdowns, the shutdowns, the denying of medical care to those in need because of the COVID-19 hysteria has actively killed thousands of elderly people, let alone others. But at least the Sunday Times is reporting on the elderly who have been killed. And that is the sense that you get from this this tweet appearing on Simon Dolan's Twitter th- uh, feed, which clearly is devoted to ending the lockdown and contains a lot of information that would be along those lines. So as you can imagine, a lot of the people who follow and comment on Simon's feed are unproblematically digesting that as, oh, okay, the Sunday Times is finally reporting how the lockdowns are killing. And so you have people saying uh, they probably mostly counted as COVID deaths too. And yes, and talking about dying with versus dying of and uh, talking about genocide and that sort of thing. The interesting thing is when you actually click through to the Sunday Times tweet itself and you get the context, obviously they have a link to the article itself and they have more about what this Uh, their findings in this study or this uh, article uh, were. For example, the NHS was placed in the impossible position of having to cope with an unmanageable deluge of patients. Despite warnings, the Prime Minister procrastinated for nine days before bringing in the lockdown. During this time, the number of infections rocketed. And you can continue going on, and I suggest you do, but the The real point of this story is not to say, look, the lockdowns are killing, the the lockdowns were horrible, the lockdowns were completely the wrong thing to do. No, it's saying the problem is they didn't lock down quickly enough or hard enough to stop this flood of patients that ended up in people being denied medical care. So if you actually click through to the article itself, which I don't suggest you do from this tweet, because if you do, you will be taken to the times.co.uk site where A, you are giving them the satisfaction of your traffic and thus advertising revenue, but B, it's a paywalled article, of course, so you have to pay for the uh, opportunity to read this propaganda, unless you know about things like archive.is. So, of course, I'll throw in the link to the archive.is archived version of this article, which obviously 
is not paywalled. So uh, you can actually read the article itself revealed how elderly paid price of protecting NHS from COVID-19, which starts as these types of articles always do with anecdata about setting the human interest side of the story about this one specific case of this Vivian Morrison, whose 82-year-old father had been admitted to hospital because of COVID-19. And uh, then she received this call that he wasn't expected to survive the day because he was being denied life-saving medical treatment, including mechanical ventilation, asterisk, keep that in mind more in which in a second, but because he ticked too many boxes, his age, sex, high blood pressure, and diabetes would all basically meant that he wasn't likely to survive, so they were going to ration the healthcare and give it to someone else. Now, there's a lot of things that we can pick apart even from this anecdote, like the fact that they're unproblematically framing mechanical ventilation as being the key intervention that would have saved this 82-year-old man's life, when in fact... Uh, as we now know, uh, mechanical ventilation has uh, not been de-recommended uh, since it was found to actually be uh, involved in higher death rates for patients, uh, worse medical outcomes. So this is, I mean, it's the remarkable double think that happens where they admit something on one side and then they forget or pretend, hope that you forget that they admitted it when forwarding it as a convenient piece of another narrative. You see, this man died because they didn't give him the ventilator, which actually would have worsened his medical outcome. <laughs> so at any rate, this is the way it starts. And as you can see, they're going to frame this and please do go and read through the article, but they frame it in terms of they didn't lock down fast enough. Because if they had have locked down fast enough, they wouldn't have had to ration healthcare because there wouldn't wouldn't have been a flood of patients. Now, rationing healthcare in and of itself is a fascinating piece of this story and relates as my as my dedicated audience will know, to work that I've done recently on bioethics and eugenics, where the bioethicists are now literally coming out and talking about rationing healthcare and how this COVID-19 hysteria provides the perfect example for basically the perfect laboratory for them to experiment with their rationing systems. Uh, but the long and short of this is, you see, the government didn't lock down hard enough, fast enough. If they had of, then these people would have lived. So, uh, what I find fascinating about this is there are two competing narratives here, two competing ways to describe what is happening now. One is that the lockdowns, the shutdowns, the denying of service are themselves the cause, the immediate cause of these deaths, uh, which no one is disputing, really. But it's how do you interpret what that means? Because underlying that is a narrative. Either the lockdowns are not only unnecessary, but actively killing people and should never have been done, or the lockdowns are absolutely necessary because if we hadn't have locked down, things would have been much, much worse. And therefore, we should have locked down earlier and harder. Uh, which gets to a fundamental point about these types of things. First, I think it is important to undermine the untruth the core and fundamental untruth here, which is even if you take the the case-demic and the numbers and, oh my God, the infections at face value, you take everything that the government, the official government statistics are saying at face value, the truth is, once you actually go through the numbers, oh, lockdowns have not, you can't even say no discernible effect on the case-demic, i.e. people testing 
bracket false positive for uh, SARS-CoV-2 or not yeah not not testing positive for COVID-19 testing positive for SARS-CoV-2 via faulty tests that we know give false positives um, but uh, when you actually look at it no it's not just that the lockdowns have no effect it's that places that lock down actually have higher death rates than places have, that have less restrictions. And this has been done multiple times. There's an article here in The Hill about it. There's an article on the National Review about it. There's an article from The Wall Street Journal about it. There's a lot of different people who have been going through the numbers, crunching the numbers and finding, lo and behold, the states that locked down the hardest were the ones that had the highest death rates. Now, there are, again, there are multiple ways of uh, interpreting that data because well, that could mean because there was a particularly uh, virulent uh, strain of this deadly pathogen that was going through that community. That's why they had to lock down even tighter there. And if they hadn't, it would have killed everybody. It would have been 100% mortality. Uh, versus people on the other side saying, no, you have a higher death rate because of the lockdown and because people aren't getting the normal everyday healthcare and and uh, all the other things that they would need in order to function normally. So people are dying more quickly. It's not to do uh, specifically with SARS-CoV-2. Now, again, there's two. that's two different narratives that you can take from the exact same data. And that that is the fundamental underlying point here. It actually should be a familiar conundrum to students of economics. Because, of course, you have the, uh, the praxeologists of, say, the Austrian school on one side. You have the, the Keynesians and uh, the Chicago school and others on the other side who say economics is empirical. And all we have to do is to to see, for example, if you if you adjust the minimum wage up and unemployment goes up, then you know that there is a relation between those two things or something along those lines. It's it's a question almost of a science where you can do empirical tests and studies. And obviously you can't know what would have happened if you hadn't have done something. But you can you can look at and compare different rates in different places and try to uh, even out the variables and see if you can make the statistical correlation relations, and it's all of uh, an empirical scientific enterprise, whereas the praxeologists say, no, 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 no. Uh, there, there, is, there are fundamental axioms, things that we have to take beforehand that, depending whether we believe this or this, will completely change the way we see things. So, so we can see how that plays out in an economic sense. For example, uh, uh, the unemployment minimum wage relationship, there are 8,000 different variables in there, and some of them play on themselves, depending on what policy is implemented and how and by whom and over what time, in what area, etc., etc. So just because there is some movement in a minimum wage and some movement in unemployment doesn't mean that that's necessarily a, a connection. No, you have to have the fundamental underlying principle and think about it from first principles to determine what will be the effect. You can't see it from the data after the fact, because again, you cannot play God and say, well, if we hadn't have done this, this is what it would have, what how it would have turned out. No, you need an underlying theory for that. Let's go right back to this. This is the exact same argument that's happening now. Oh, if we hadn't have locked down, things would have been so much worse, right? Right? Uh, well, we can see how this plays out in a number of different ways. Uh, for example, the CDC is now coming out and, uh, and you can read the studies that are showing that, well, remarkably enough, influenza uh, infections are, are decreasing, or at least signs of influenza uh, outbreaks are decreasing during the COVID-19 
hysteria, not just in the United States, but in various countries that it's been studied at. And this is, this is interesting. And so if you read, for example, on the CDC site, they'll say, well, this is likely because of the lockdowns that are taking place due to COVID-19 will also keep people socially distanced so that they don't transmit influenza. And you'll notice even in this, the paper where they cite this, they do say likely. This is likely because uh, the lockdowns are effective in stopping the transmission of influenza. But wait, actually, as, as we've just seen, the data shows that lockdowns actually increase death rates when it comes to COVID-19, not decrease them. So if anything, there's, there's certainly no valid empirical basis for saying that the lockdowns have stopped or slowed down the transmission of this this viral pathogen so why would it why why would we then say that it is likely again supposition no empirical data to back that back that up but it is likely that the lockdowns have prevented influenza from spreading do you see what's happening here there is an underlying narrative that has been seeded in the public consciousness that lockdowns are stopping infections and because of that, uh, well, more people are living. And because of that, then we can extrapolate that out to the past. If the UK had have locked down nine days earlier than it did, then thousands of elderly people would still be alive. That 82-year-old would still be kicking and doing just fine because... There wouldn't have been a flood of people infected, so there wouldn't have been a flood of people going to the hospitals, so there wouldn't have been need to ration healthcare. Do, do you see what the underlying narrative that, base, that they're basing all of this on is? It's not about the actual statistics or the data itself. It's about the narrative that the lockdowns are what is saving us. And that is really, of course, the propaganda message that is being targeted at the population, so that whatever data comes out on top of that, they'll be able to say, look, you see, we told you, the lockdowns are effective. So if thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people die, or tens of thousands, or hundreds of thousands, or millions, ultimately end up dying due to the lockdowns and the direct effect of the lockdowns, the people who believe that underlying narrative about the lockdowns will still be able to say, well, then we should have locked down sooner and harder and that would have stopped the spread of COVID, of SARS-CoV-2, more uh, quickly. Thus, we could have lifted the restrictions earlier, and those deaths wouldn't have happened. So, ultimately, this is about the underlying narrative. They want you to swallow this pill that it contains within it the seeds of the lie. The lie about the lockdowns being perfect preventative for any, any uh, respiratory virus, I guess. Influenza or anything else. Any, any other type of infection that spreads around the community, well, the lockdowns will help to, to prevent that. Uh, asterisk, data needed. But again, as long as you swallow that narrative, then you can look at the exact same data as other people and see the exact opposite things. That, oh, it wasn't because of the lockdowns that people are dying. It's because you didn't lock down soon enough. This is a particularly insidious propaganda trick all the more insidious for being utterly effective. Because again, like so many other things, it's what you don't see that makes uh, uh, a piece of propaganda effective. It's that you don't see the narrative that they are embedding, that they're asking you to swallow with all of this, so that you just assume that it is true. You just take it on faith, face value and uh, in faith that, oh, well, I guess lockdowns, of course, are effective in stopping the spread of these pathogens. And thus we can extrapolate from there. 
And any data on top of that will only further confirm that underlying narrative for the believers in that narrative. Which is why it's always important to attack the underlying premises, the underlying assumptions of these types of arguments, uh, rather than fixating on the data, because the data is not going to change anyone's mind. No matter what happens, the believers in lockdown will still believe in lockdown. No matter how bad it gets, they will say, well, we should have locked down harder. We should have locked down sooner. We should have locked down longer. That will always be the answer until that fundamental uh, narrative is, is confronted head on and uh, undermined. So that's today's lesson. I hope you learned something from it. I will, of course, include the links to all of the things that I've cited today. And I would like to, in closing, also tell you about something new to uh, this podcast. And I say podcast because the Propaganda Watch series for the last two years has, and I believe something like 75 episodes has been video only. That was a conscious decision I made when I started this series, anticipating that there would be a lot of showing videos and things that wouldn't make much sense in an audio podcast format. But over that two years, I, <laughs> I have had precisely one person <laughs> email me to say, can you make this available in audio? <laughs> and I thought, you know what? That's not a bad idea. Why not make a podcast out of this, an audio podcast that you can listen to in the car or whatever else uh, as you go about your daily duties, unless you are locked down in your home and unable to travel, uh, in which case you can just listen to it in your living room through your Alexa, right? That's a joke, guys. I do not want you to buy one of these surveillance devices for your home. But anyway, uh, yes, if you are interested in the podcast, I have created a podcast feed for this that you can uh, subscribe to just like any of my other podcast feeds, my audio feeds. Uh, if you don't know how to do that, it's at RSS on the uh, on the main site right under the, the banner there. There's the RSS. You click on that and you'll get all the RSS feeds and the podcast feed, the interviews feed, videos, questions for Corbett, and oh, there's the Propaganda Watch feed. And of course, this links to the uh, XML, the RSS, uh, which is going to give you this, unless you know uh, how to copy that link and then you paste that into your feed reader, whatever that is, iTunes or whatever it is, and you can subscribe to the podcast that way. I am going to get this uh, posted to the various Stitchers and Apple Podcasts and whatever, um, in the near future, at any rate. Uh, at any rate, you can subscribe, and I so far have last week's audio episode posted up in that feed, so you can listen to, going here forward, you can listen to Propaganda Watch as an audio podcast. So that's going to do it for this week uh, for Propaganda Watch, but of course I'm going to be coming back to you with more material as the week plays out. I hope you'll be there uh, with me for that. James Corbett, CorbettReport.com. The Corbett Report is brought to you by you. Your support makes The Corbett Report possible. Sign up for the subscriber newsletter or purchase a DVD at corbettreport.com support.